welcome to another episode of Life After Mars, a Veronica Mars podcast. What do we do? We talk the mystery du jour, other side stories, B-plots, and our favorite scenes and lines. We won't spoil you on the season-long mysteries, but the mystery du jour is fair game. I'm Corey, your longtime marshmallow. I'm Sean, and I'm pledging for the Tritons this fall. Well, before we get started, there are a couple of corrections from last week's episode that I wanted to bring up. First of all, I just want to apologize for mixing up nature and nurture several times in my explanation of nature versus nurture. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Actually, I feel like when I was re-listening, I might have noticed. But I mean, what can we do? Yeah, uh, other than apologize now before somebody yells at me for getting that confused. I'm not stupid. I just get confused sometimes. And also, TiVo was introduced in 1999. So it was a thing. It was a thing. If you were wealthy wealthier than us probably well, i was a college kid so definitely yeah. <laughs> wasn't wealthy yeah i also i caught one thing for those of you listening we did a mini episode at the mid-season finale kind of talking about what we know so far and sean made some predictions as to where he thinks the season's gonna go and who killed lily and the circumstances around that we were recapping abel Kuntz and veronica's visit to the prison and i said that the girl she was pretending to be was named eleanor and it was actually ellen and i obviously was like good place eleanor obviously i didn't catch that but i'm sure somebody out there did yeah so i did the second i heard it back i was like dumb <laughs> you're wrong Corey. that's okay it's okay to be wrong so today we're talking about season one episode 12 clash of the tritons you booze you lose The parents of a boy who's comatose after a bout of heavy drinking believe Veronica provided his fake ID, and the attempt to clear her name leads Veronica to a secret on-campus society. Elsewhere, students meet with Miss James to talk about the year without Lily. I just improvised that part because I forgot to write it. (laughs) I was like, elsewhere, highlighted, didn't feel like, yeah. Well, because I feel like elsewhere, there's a lot of elsewhere stuff that happens that's not fine-pointed. So let's jump into that mystery du jour. The mystery du jour opens with our new friend Rick being pulled out of journalism or yearbook to see VP Clemens. Turns out Sheriff Lamb is there too, and he quickly puts the poker to Rick. There's apparently surveillance footage of Rick dropping, and we do mean dropping, another student, Tim, outside the hospital at 1.30 a.m. that morning. Tim, he was unconscious and is currently in a coma. Rick's forearm reveals a bunch of entry stamps. Is that what you call them? I guess so. Bar I'll, bar stamps. Yeah, but, but they don't put them on your arm. They put them on the back of your hand. Right. I I was really confused. Maybe once again, <clears throat> might be some Southern California thing that I'm not familiar with. I don't with. think it is. Anyway, Lamb demands to know how Rick got into all the bars. So Rick produces his fake ID, which he shows to Lamb. And while looking at it, Lamb tells Clemens that a lot of fakes are popping up, and the way he sees it, they're all coming from Neptune High. How many other high schools are in the area? I was actually just thinking. I was like, <laughs> are there any other schools in the district? We'll get there. There are some other schools. Lamb demands to know where Rick got his fake ID. Says he owes it to his friend. The three of us, he says, we're not leaving this cozy little room until you give me a name. So Rick does. And that name? Veronica Mars. Dun, dun, dun! Cuts a lamb and VP Clemens in the hallway, waiting to search Veronica's locker. She's her usual snarky self. And when Lamb tells her what they're looking for, that they believe she's manufacturing fake IDs, She manages a cool, ooh, that's a new one. She opens her locker only to reveal a spill, a literal spill of blank IDs. Which I think if if Lamb and Clemens know anything about Veronica, they should know she's better organized than that. Right? She wouldn't just leave evidence out like that. How many times have they been through her locker? For real. (laughs) She insists that they aren't hers, and Lamb insists on searching her bag. And in it, he discovers her wallet with a few interesting finds. Lily Kane's driver license... A license for a 22-year-old Veronica Mars, a San Diego State student ID, and a licensed massage therapist card. Veronica ponies up to those. Lamb gets out the handcuffs, and Veronica remarks that he doesn't have to, and he says, he knows, but he's gonna. (laughs) And don't bother coming back to school the next three days, Clemens says. You're suspended. Icing on the cake? The bell rings overhead, and students pour out of the classrooms just in time to see Veronica's handcuffed walk of shame. And cameras come out. Everybody's watching. (laughs) Logan sees it. Like all the people you wouldn't want to see. I like when she's like, I really hope they use that one in the yearbook. Logan's reaction was pretty priceless too. It was very Logan. He just kind of does a salute. Yeah. Well, because, you know, earlier in the season, she witnessed his walk of shame when she put the bong in his locker, et cetera. So 
It was pretty, pretty great. Cliff, her legal counsel, shows up at the sheriff's office to post her bail. She asks him about whether they can beat the charges against her, and he tells her that the only thing tying her to the fake ID ring is Rick's testimony. At that exact moment, we see Rick outside the interrogation room, and, after pointing him out, Veronica excuses herself. Howdy, Rick. Do I know you? No. Then why'd you tell Sheriff Lamb I sold you a fake ID? It's... it's what they told me to say. Who's they? No way. They're everywhere. They will destroy me. I'll destroy you worse. I can't talk about it here. Tomorrow in school we talk. No, I just... I told you it has to be done in secret. Oh, it will be. You'll be hearing from me. I thought you were expelled. After school, Wallace shows up at Mars Investigations with her homework and a rumor that it took three officers and a stun gun to haul her out of school. <laughs> Veronica, naturally, needs to ask for a favor. This mission better involve me seducing the head cheerleader. I need you to poke around and see if you can get me a fake ID. If you must seduce the head cheerleader in order to accomplish your mission, so be it. No sweat. How do I do that? Play on her insecurity. I meant the fake ID part. Okay. Let's pretend for a moment that this mythical head cheerleader of yours has just asked you out on a date. In exchange for seven minutes in heaven, you have to get her into the hottest nightclub in Neptune, or at least buy her a pack of strawberry wine coolers. The stakes are high, Wallace Fennell. Think now. How would you do it? Wallace thinks for a moment, then does the smooth circle spin sit into the couch next to her. He puts his arm around her shoulder. Hey, Veronica. Yeah? I need you to get me a fake ID so I can get some fake action from a fake cheerleader. Wallace, please find out who else at school is making them. And I think that that's really a great point because she does manufacture fake IDs. It's just this isn't an instance of her manufacturing fake IDs. And she doesn't do it for profit or anything or for skeezy dumb people like she would do it for a friend for a legitimate reason veronica may be suspended but that won't keep her from getting what she needs to get done done hiding her car beneath a car tarp she summons rick to the parking lot of neptune high and welcomes him into her car slash office here we get down to business through rick we learn that veronica is being framed by a secret society known as the tritons I have to say, I laughed when Veronica was like, why haven't I heard of them? And not so much the secret, duh, but that she's honestly upset that she doesn't know that they exist because she's sort of the type of person who prides herself on knowing things. Like in her industry, knowledge is currency. She knows so much of like everything that it's, I think it's less a duh moment for her and more of a like, I'm a little upset that I didn't know that Mm -hmm. we have a secret society roaming the halls of Neptune High. Each year, six juniors are inducted by six seniors. Only no one knows who the seniors are. Rick and Tim are two of the pledges, and Rick found out via an envelope left in his locker, which we see in like a cute little flashback. Mm -hmm. The inductees have to go through 12 labors, the most recent of which was going to 12 bars and taking a shot at each. Tim passed out at the 11th. The other pledges freaked and ran, leaving Rick to dump Tim at the hospital. But if they're so secret, Veronica asks... How does Rick know so much about them? Turns out his father was a Triton and his two older brothers. He has to play along. And here we see through a quick visual flashback, Rick receiving the note that called him into the office at the beginning of the episode. On it, it's written, blame Veronica Mars with a conch cell. Conch? Conch? Conch. Conch. With a conch (laughs) cell. With a conch shell, which is the Triton's kind of logo, signature logo. Mm -hmm. Insignia? Sure. Rick's furious at the Tritons, and it turns out they're pretty peeved too. Dumping Tim at the hospital got them a lot of attention. Even his dad won't speak to him, and Rick wants them to go down. Now keep in mind, this is all Rick's point of view. This is what he is, he is telling mm-hmm. Veronica, and that's important. So who are the other pledges? Anyone who's anyone in academics, sports. They're the six guys you'd expect. He rattles off the names, but Veronica snags on one. Duncan Kane. Duncan Veronica decides to follow Duncan, naturally. It's a sure bet, she thinks, to find the Tritons. So she puts a tracker on his car. Doesn't she already have a tracker on his car? Like, Doesn't she have a tracker on everybody's exactly. car? <laughs> After school, Veronica rushes over to Mars Investigations to meet with Cliff, only to find her dad is back. Keith was out of town for a few days, chasing down a bail jumper in Arizona. What's her reaction to seeing him? Hi, Dad. Their case is fuzzy and circumstantial. You know the odd thing? 
Those were also her very first words. Veronica quickly tells them everything she knows about the Tritons, Rick's fake confession, the fake IDs, but that's the least of their worries now. The stakes have grown. Tim's parents are suing everybody involved. Veronica, all the bars. This could be worth millions. Later that night at home, Wallace shows up to tell Veronica everything he was able to find out. Wallace shines in this episode. Mm -hmm. Because Veronica can't do all this sleuthing at school because she's suspended, Wallace gets to do it. And so these are like Wallace. Remember in Wrath of Khan how when he was involved in sort of the investigation, he got all like kind of not cocky, but he had this sort of like look at me, kind of arrogance to him. Well, he, a, he was also trying to impress a girl at the time. Yes, but it was a very kind of charming excitement. And he has that a lot in this episode as well. Nobody I talked to at school knows anything about fake IDs. <sighs> but then, this afternoon, a kid from my biology class comes in a second pack, buys a six pack from my boss like it was no problem. Did you figure out where he got his fake? Slow down. This is my story. Followed him out to the parking lot. And I was like, yo, fella, check it out. You're on candid camera. <laughs> Gave him the 411 on our video playback capabilities. You know, leaned on him, got a shaft or something. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Long story short, ha. the guy claimed that there's a mystery locker at school. Ooh, I like it already. Here's how it works. You put your name in 250 bucks in locker 110, first thing in the morning. Come afternoon, brand spanking new license that says you were born in 1983 arrives in your locker. Are you willing to put $250 into some strange locker just to see if this works? Hell no. I'm using your money. Veronica slips into school and sets up an elaborate camera gear display in one of the office's display cabinets, making it oh so easy to aim a digital camera at Locker 110. By the way, did you see the display that she moved out, like moved up? Uh, Personal hygiene yeah. month. Man, I do not miss high school. Like I remember those kind of awkward conversations, you know, where they'd like split the boys and girls and they talk about your body changing and how to take care of yourself. And it's just, uh, it's Maybe I just want to say, take a shower. You kids stink. Take a shower, wear mm-hmm. deodorant. And I i mean, I could have used somebody in my life. Yeah, because you just don't know. Right. You don't realize it. Anyway, I just thought that that was Girls funny. were still interested in me, so it didn't matter. <laughs> After school, Wallace comes over to Veronica's. She's busy watching Duncan's tracker blink across her computer screen. He's on the move. She asks Wallace if he wants to go on a field trip, and Wallace says he plans to hit up some bars because his fake ID magically appeared in his locker after seventh period. Veronica has him handed over for inspection, and she's none too pleased. The ink is bleeding at the edges, the hologram is missing, and the photo... Is that your yearbook picture, Wallace? So what? So this is a $250 piece of crap. Now I'm not just falsely accused, I'm genuinely offended. The two head out to the address where Duncan's car and tracker stopped. Veronica cautions Wallace, but upon entry to the club, they find Duncan doing really bad karaoke. <laughs> it was so bad. Like, I, I've never heard karaoke that bad in my life. Yeah. And I know you, you have a lot to say about his acting skills, too, so you think maybe those two go hand in hand? I mean, I'm sure you're good at something, Teddy. It's about as good as his acting drunk. I actually liked his acting drunk. It was very funny. I was amused, less amused at the back here. Okay, but it's okay. She confronts him, demanding an audience with the Tritons, but Duncan's speaking nothing but gibberish. Veronica reminds him that the guys he is protecting didn't just frame her, they're responsible for putting a kid in the hospital. More gibberish, and she walks off, disgusted. Was it gibberish? Well, it's like, it's, it's, they're actual words, but none but, of it makes sense. But it, is he just saying over and over and over the, the quick brown fox? No, that times? was one of his answers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Veronica and Wallace hang around a little longer, but then Veronica decides it's time to bounce. But before they can, Duncan appears with a piece of paper, a summons in the form of a riddle. The judges hold the final scores. You shall hear my voice once I've heard yours. Guess whose turn it is at karaoke? (laughs) When she's called up, Veronica whispers her song to the host. She says to the crowd, This song goes out to my friends in the Tritons as the opening notes of Blondie's One Way or Another play out. I remember watching this and being like, oh, so she's also, because a lot of times you know that an actor is often also a singer, like they do more than one thing. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's very common in teen shows if you cast somebody who's also a singer or whatever, you like feature that talent. Anyway, so I was like, oh, Veronica, Kristen Bell can sing. But can she? She is, yeah. I, I can't tell if she's really singing or not. Oh, yeah, no, that's her. You do know she was in Frozen. 
Um, it kind of rings a bell. The cartoon. She was a voice. But, but which which of one was Anna? She? she was the younger sister, yeah. not Elsa, not the Let It Go. She's a hit. Tens across the board, and her performance wins her an audience with the Great Triton in the men's room. I mean, that's where her office is. This is true. It's cool. <laughs> but the guy hiding in the stall, like the wizard behind a curtain, is likewise a fraud. Someone paid him twenty bucks to impersonate the Great Triton. The next day, Veronica hits up Neptune High before hours, because she's still suspended, to grab the digital camera footage. Rick catches her on her way out. He's terrified. The Tritons have found out that he's talking to her. They nailed a live rat to his front door. She tells him to pull it together. They have a seven-figure lawsuit hanging over them. There's no doing this halfway. So here we come up to my favorite part of the episode, because I just have, I have so many questions which I'll break down for you guys in a moment. But while hanging out in her car, listening to Duncan in Miss James' office, which you'll get to in a mm-hmm. bit, there's a sharp rap on her window. The tarp is pulled away to reveal three hooded figures who pull Veronica out of her car and everything goes dark. Cut to her untying herself and pulling off a hood in... where? Well, luckily, she's got her phone on her. Hey, Wallace, what you doing? Uh-huh. No, I haven't seen that one. Yes, Dave Chappelle is great. Listen, the real reason I'm calling... Funny story. Camera pulls away to reveal she's in the trunk of her own car, with the doors still open, tarp discarded, and keys in the trunk lock. And I have so many questions. First, did they drug her? Why was she not screaming? Two, this happened in the day, and this is night. Sure, it's January, but it's Southern California, and trunks get warm. Right. How did everyone leave campus, faculty included, with no one approaching the visibly disturbed <laughs> car with her computer on and not sleeping inside? And I get that, yes, it is the end of day, which Duncan says in his discussion with Miss James at that time, but there was a car parked on the driver's side and her door was left wide open. So somebody gets into that car and they're like, this is suspicious. Maybe I should go tell somebody. And it's dark when she gets out of her car. So it's like, what, the earliest it could be is six? That's two hours locked in the trunk? There's just, I, I love Veronica Mars, don't get me wrong, but there's sometimes things that happen where I'm just like, ah. Well, how about this? Because uh, everybody knows it's Veronica's car, right? They, they recognize the Le Baron, and mm-hmm. they just like, oh, it's Veronica's car. We don't care if there's any kind of distress going on right now. Even faculty, though? Well, I mean, they might not, they probably have separate parking lots for faculty and students. Maybe, that's a good theory. I do like that. But they also know she's suspended. Everybody saw her walk out. Right. Anyway, Wallace shows up and lets her out. And he, like, casually walks up to the car, knowing his friend is trapped in the trunk. And then in, like, the last few steps, he runs. I'm like, if somebody called me and they're like, hey, I'm locked in my car, I haul ass to where they are. Come on, Wallace. She jumps into her open car and slides the keys in the ignition. The radio clicks on. Thank God her battery didn't die when her car door was hanging open for who knows how long. And the bug she planted in the school, more on that later is still transmitting through her radio. She and Wallace hear chanting and sneak into the school to investigate. Well, she sneaks in. Wallace hangs out as the lookout. It's the Triton's initiation, complete with hooded robes, flickering candles, and chanting pledges of servitude, with their numbers now restored, because yes, let's continue with our secret society bullshit whilst a kid lays in a hospital in a coma. (laughs) The newbie Tritons are sworn in, and the boys can now look upon each other's faces and know they're equals, or some other misogynist, elitist bullshit. Veronica takes this opportunity to jump out, camera in hand. Hi, everybody. Say repressed homosexuality. She snaps pictures, startling the Tritons, and they give chase. Veronica makes it outside into the Le Baron, where Wallace stands by as getaway driver. Now all Veronica has to do is match the footage from the locker to one of the faces and the photographs that she's just took, and then she's off the hook. Trouble is, no one stops by top locker 110 in the footage. Still, Veronica tells a sleepy Wallace, because he's amazing and stayed there to help, even though he passed out, (laughs) that she knows how it all went down. Cut to Veronica showing up at the sheriff's office, Lamb's office specifically, with a box of donuts. He tells her that her court date isn't until next week, and she tells him that he can go ahead and cancel it. Really? Why's that? Well, I thought, for a change, you might be interested in having the real criminal stand trial. I'll make you a little deal, Lamb. If I don't deliver the person who put Tim in the hospital by 5 p.m. today, I promise to walk, with a little something extra, into the courthouse on Tuesday and plead guilty to anything you want to throw at me. It's a pretty ballsy claim. It's not like she hasn't been wrong about things before. I love Veronica, but sometimes her confidence terrifies me. So Veronica tells Lamb what he has to do. 
Pick a name from the yearbook, write it on the post-it, and drop it into Locker 110. By the end of the day, that kid will have a fake ID, and you'll have yourself a crook. And I'll be sitting over here, chilling like a villain. Lamb does as she instructs, and Veronica makes a quick call to Rick. She tells him they're hauling in the real bad guy that afternoon, and that she knows who the Tritons are. He's gonna want to see it. She's gonna nail them to the wall. That afternoon rolls around, and Veronica is still in Lamb's office, putting up with his ego rambling, when Rick shows up. And Sachs, with that fake ID. But if Veronica didn't do it, then who? Everyone looks to Rick, and he flusters, What? Me? Are you crazy? How else do you explain the 250 in your wallet? Cough it up. Big deal. This money's mine. It doesn't prove anything. Why don't you take a closer look at the one on top? Read what's written over Grant's head. Veronica Mars is smarter than me. Oh, you stop it. Turns out Locker 110 was above Rick's locker, and a little sliding hatch between the two allowed him to get the envelopes without ever opening Locker 110. But why, Rick, why? The night Tim went to the hospital, he and Rick were using their own fake IDs, buying their own drinks, and enjoying the profits of their own fake ID biz. You were never hazed. You tried blaming the Tritons because you were pissed off at them. Your dad and your brother are Tritons, but you didn't measure up, did you, Rick? You weren't even invited to join their secret society. So when you were called into the office, you dumped a bunch of blank IDs and you blame me. But why me? Was it just because people would believe that I did it? All right, since you asked, last year your dad was hired to track down a hedge fund manager for embezzlement. That was my father. Only the newspapers never mentioned that his company cheated him out of his bonus three years running. They took our house, they took our cars. Eventually my parents got a divorce. You must be proud. Eesh. But still, that's not Keith's fault. No one told Rick's dad to commit a crime. Also, go throw yourself a pity party, Rick. I have no sympathy for you. You don't get to destroy other people's lives because you're upset. At school, Veronica hands over the folder of Triton photos to Duncan and promises to keep the secret. She apologizes. I should have trusted you, she said. I should have never come after the Tritons. Duncan smiles. And who are the Tritons? <laughs> Case closed. But I think what's important to note about this entire mystery du jour is as it's playing out, you're following along and kind of believing everything that happened. But a lot of what Rick said was all of Rick's point of view. Mm -hmm. And so you have to kind of break down what's true and false, what's reality and make believe. And Rick made the Tritons seem larger than life, like truly malevolent be beings. They destroy lives. They nail live rats to doors. It's a little excessive, but he's a liar. And looking back, you can't believe anything he said this entire episode, save for maybe wanting to see the Tritons go down. Uh -huh. He and Tim weren't even pledges, and the Tritons weren't even involved. And the best way we can see this is through their antics. They're just a bunch of nerds. No offense. Like, they're doing bad karaoke and talking in gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> they're streaking down the hallway at school, which I'm like, that's not very secret if you're streaking down the hallway with school or wearing hooded robes and kidnapping girls out of their cars in the parking lot. That's not... Yeah, and the the head Triton was the MIT guy from earlier in the from, episode, In the right? beginning, yeah. in the very first scene, she's sitting beside him in the, uh, the office. Which is kind of funny to think about that uh, the naked guy is running down the hallway and the guy who orchestrated it is just sitting, sitting right there. there playing chess <laughs> against himself. But what I do find strange is that Duncan didn't break the gibberish to tell her that she had it wrong. So because she's at the, at the karaoke bar, she's telling him like, they're framing me and Tim's in this coma and it's all your guys' fault. And I was like, why didn't he tell her that Tim wasn't a pledge? That all the fake IDs had nothing to do with them. It would have saved so much time mm -hmm. if he was just like because you, you would think if she's coming at him saying these are the things that are being said about you i would think that the tritons would try to send a message to somebody that like no we're not involved in this i know that they're trying to stay secret i don't know i just i feel like it's if they're not involved at all which they aren't why didn't anybody try and tell veronica that like hey we we have nothing to do with this then we couldn't have had the rest of the episode this is true <laughs> <laughs> anyway case closed i've already said that but that's our mystery du jour for today it was all rick's fault because he was so sad about not being invited to the party Fucking and not rick. being rich anymore and having their cars and their house taken away at least you're all still alive and in good health anyway what else happened in the episode sean what else happened in the episode today aaron eccles is alive he lived 
<laughs> this is, I guess this is the first we see of him a lot. This is the first we hear about him since Eggles Family Christmas. Yeah, because last episode was Veronica helping Mac, and there was no Logan in that episode whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I actually wondered if this was the first time, because you see kind of Logan coming to school, and there's all this stuff about the event taped on his locker. And I was like, is this the first time that he's gone back to school? But it can't be, because he was there when they walked Veronica out. And did that happen before that? It did. So I don't know if there's like a little time mix up or whatever. But anyway, uh, but yes, that is to say that this is the first time we're revisiting what happened in the mid-season finale. Right. And so and I got I definitely got the feeling that if if this isn't his first day back, it's still pretty fresh. Oh, yeah. And he probably took some time out of school. Yeah, a week or two back from school. Right. So um, Logan does. He arrives to school in his what is it thing called again? I used to want one. Xterra. Xterra. Is Whenever yellow. I see them around Austin, I'm like, Logan, is that you? Because there's some <laughs> yellow Nissan Xterras driving around here. I, I've already mentioned in the previous episode, I always wanted a yellow Xterra. Ooh. We got a thunderstorm happening here in Austin, you guys. So if you hear a little, that's not us hitting the mics. We're professionals. Yes. <laughs> so Logan arrives in his yellow Xterra, listening to the radio, and the DJs are talking about the Aaron Eccles situation. Drama. The drama. You're breathing. Then you've heard about Aaron Eccles getting ginsued at his own Christmas party. Explain to me why a guy who's married to Lynn Eccles would want to bang the friggin' help. It's like the old saying goes, show me a hot chick and I'll show you guys tired of hitting that. Logan walks into the school and everybody's staring, gawking. And this is kind of what, what led me to believe that this is, he's just coming back to school or it's still pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. Because everybody, it's still fresh in everybody's minds. And maybe it's, and it's still being published on everything. Yeah, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And he walks up to his locker and there's just a crowd of people around his locker sniggering and pointing and laughing. And then they see him and disperse. And the what's on his locker pasted photos of the stuff from the tabloids, including picture of the actual uh, accoster, mm-hmm. stabber. The carver. Stabby McStabberson. Mm-hmm. That's what we'll call her. Yeah. <laughs> And biker dude, uh, I don't know if his name was actually mentioned in the episode. Hector, I, I saw on the transcripts. Mm-hmm. So Hector turns around and just tells Lo- Logan, in my humble opinion, your mom's totally hotter, which of course sets Logan off immediately. Mm-hmm. He grabs him, slams him against the locker, a fight ensues, and everybody gets into the office. You know, typical high school fight breaks out. I used to love when fights broke out at school. Did you? Yeah. I, I don't see you as a person who... I mean, I was never involved in any of them. But it's just, it's not, they were never violent. You know, it's just like, like hyper-emotionally charged students who don't right. know conflict resolution skills. Just lots of posturing and... Exactly. And they were just always really funny to me. Nobody ever really got hurt that I remember. Well, good. So, obviously, Logan gets in trouble for this. And Aaron comes up to the school to talk to the vice principal uh, about what happened. And Aaron was able, of course, Aaron was able to get him out of a suspension because that's the Aaron Eccles way. He charms everyone. Yeah, he does. And Into bed. <laughs> so, but they have to be back to the school on Friday for a disciplinary conference, which he seems super excited about. But as they're walking away, he, he mentions, you know, obviously I don't like you fighting, but I'm proud of you for sticking up for your mother which is pretty funny when you see what happens later in the episode. Mm. And Logan smarts off saying, like, you're proud of me? Oh, great, I can die happy. And then Aaron just turns around and pretty much threatens to kill him. He says, oh, well, I can arrange that. Like, damn, Aaron, Mm -hmm. damn. And then Lynn, in usual Lynn fashion, is everything okay? I want what drug she's on. Flash forward to Mars Investigations. Uh, Aaron pops in to talk to Keith. He's working on regaining his family's trust after the incident. And the incident and also his infidelity, his infidelity that led the to rumors, the incident, et cetera. And he mentions his daughter is the only one who will talk to him. Trina. I, this is the first time we hear about Trina. I don't think she's been mentioned at all up to this point. She hasn't. And basically he's going to Keith to hire him to figure out, you know, how is this information getting to the tabloids? There's a lot of kind of personal information, um, like the pictures from the party, that one, maybe not so much. There were a lot of people there, mm-hmm. but there was some other stuff uh, and it actually flashes to the, um, front page, the front page, the cover of the tabloid magazines. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I didn't read up into too much about it, but just basically okay. stuff like there's something about orgies and, you know, typical Neptune shenanigans. Key parties. Yeah. Flash forward a little more and Keith and Aaron are chatting and he, he found out where the information is coming from, where the leak. And it's not from somebody uh, within his staff. It is from somebody within his family. Dun, dun, dun. 
It's Lynn. It is Lynn. It is Lynn. At, at that point, I was like, was it Logan? And yeah. I don't, I don't know. Logan's a lot of things. I don't, that doesn't seem like his style. He hates his dad, though. He does hate his dad, but it still doesn't seem like his style. It's true. Um, in He's ret- more clever right. about it, <laughs> yeah. about how he exacts his revenge. Yep. And also, he's more blatant about it. Oh, uh, he takes credit. Right. <laughs> For sure. He would claim that shit. Friday comes and they're, well, I guess it was Friday when, when Heath and, and Aaron were chatting about this, but when they're at the school, Aaron confronts Lynn about it mm-hmm. with Logan sitting right there. They, in between them. Yeah, they're sitting on a bench, all three of them with Logan right in between. And he's just yelling at Lynn saying, what was your plan? Are you, are you trying to embarrass me? Trying mm-hmm. to destroy my, my career? You're trying to turn me into Costner? <laughs> I, I don't know anything about this Costner story. I kind of want to... It was a big scandal. I, I never paid attention to that kind of stuff. You gotta go read up on it. I'm gonna have to. And she's like, I can't believe you didn't think of the, the real reason. What if I just wanted to hurt you, mm-hmm. dumbass? And he's just sitting there yelling at her, you know, if you even try to divorce me, you're gonna get nothing. You'll never have a career or whatever. And once again, Logan stands up for his mother mm-hmm. and just says, Dad, if you talk to her like that again, I'm going to kill you. Or it's getting thrown around a lot in this episode. Right. So is the season two mystery who killed Aaron Eccles? <laughs> I wish. Because <laughs> I bet it's Logan. <laughs> It's always the first person you suspect. Yeah. <laughs> Mom storms out to her car, her red Viper, and pops some pills and, and uh, hauls, out. hauls ass into the sunrise. Sunset. Midday sun. For what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was 9 a.m., damn it. So. Early morning sun. <laughs> and then flash forward to the very, very last scene of the episode, and they show that red Viper sitting on freeway bridge over water, and uh, the car is abandoned. Door is open, and helicopter circling on the radio saying there's a suspected jump at the bridge so yet another mystery is lynn still alive we'll have to watch the next episode i think we might have to watch the or the episode after that or the episode after that who knows when they're going to talk about it who knows how long they're going to take to come back to right so juicy eccles family drama I think more and more you come to understand the many faces of Logan Eccles Mm -hmm. when you see that this is the kind of bullshit that that poor kid has to deal with. And I mean, there's worse families and dynamics. And I think it helps put him into perspective so much more. It doesn't necessarily absolve him of the things he's done or the way he behaves. But I think as understanding a character, you get it a little bit more. So what else happened in the episode, Sean? So we get some insight into the Lily Kane mystery in this one. A lot of insight. I really liked the way that they they did this, too. Going into it, they, well, it's Veronica sitting in the counselor's office waiting room. Miss James. Miss James's waiting room. Um, Apparently, Miss James got a grant to study the long-term effects on grief in adolescence. I do think this is great. It's a great vehicle to get a lot of details about where each person was in their lives the week Lily Kane was murdered. Mm -hmm. And this is insight that we did not have before. Because we're always coming from Veronica's point of view. Right. And sure, we've heard bits and pieces, like in, we'll, we'll get into each each one of them in a, in a moment. But I don't know, it kind of confirms some, some suspicions we had before and then raises new questions. So starting off, the first interview she does is with Veronica, who is acting like she definitely doesn't want to be there. Obviously, her and Miss James have a little bit of history, but also she's being standoffish. And I don't know how much of this is actually legitimate or sincere, but she's, you know, very distracted. Of course, she's trying to. She does this whole thing where she's playing with a stapler and then sets it on the desk and accidentally drops it and then replaces it with her bugged stapler. So how much of that was like staged? I got to do this to get the bug in here. But also she really doesn't want to be in there. And she says, you know, I don't I don't want to talk about my grief. Yeah, that's not going to help me get through it, which I think is bullshit. But whatever. You're going to have to talk about it at some point, Veronica. <laughs> yeah. It will come back to you. She thinks that, you know, solving the case is going to just re- resolve all this for her. And I don't think that that's when she'll discover that it actually won't right (laughs) and i mean this is another noir trope i think Uh, and you see it in like batman for example where it's all about vengeance 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 and that's the focus and then once the vengeance is achieved then there's no fulfillment there Mm -hmm. sure you've checked off that box but you still have to deal with that grief and there might be some validity with you know putting that dealing with that grief off and she's using it as fuel Mm -hmm. to find the true killer or to you know well it's hard to to accept and work through that grief when you know that something's wrong and that there's still stuff to be done right if if Lily had died in a car crash it would have been tragic and you could work through it and because it's pretty cut and dry but she was murdered and things don't add up and for Veronica it's like I can't even begin to accept that this is a reality until we know exactly you know what I mean what what that reality is yeah otherwise you're just gonna have this like niggling thoughts 
Yeah, she has no real closure yet. Mm-mm. So she's going to need that closure before she can begin the grieving process. 100%. Yeah. So that's all we really find out about Veronica's interview with Miss James. Uh, and of course, she it, they had to show that part because that's where she bugs the office because she gets to he- listen in on all the rest of the interviews because very conveniently, she's suspended. She's suspended for three days. Mm-hmm. But still hanging out in the school parking lot because <laughs> range. Yep. Next person to enter Miss James's office is Weevil. Were you surprised to see Weevil in there? <sighs> no. Okay. N- not really because, I mean, there's been some allusions to Weevil and Lily, so I, I didn't know if that like came out of the blue for you. or It wasn't out of the blue. It was definitely more of a ha-ha. <laughs> now things are starting to make more sense. Because yes. what are the... We saw him with the tattoo. With the tattoo. Lily. And then do you remember the other one? He was crying at the Ooh. fountain Yeah, thing. I forgot that one for a second. And then do you remember the other one? The, um, the bathroom with Felix when... Okay, I also forgot that one. Do you remember the other one? Um, her uh, Veronica and what's her name? Have Wanda. Her, their, yeah, Wanda okay. doing their... That's the one I was remembering. Right. <laughs> right, so she was asking, like, are you into bad boys too? And Wanda says, you know, Lily and Weevil. And Veronica was like, no, God, that never happened. She's like, are you sure? Because, you know, <laughs> Wanda is a gossip. But anyway, okay, yeah. so continue. So Weevil tries to play the entire thing off. Uh, he wasn't impacted by Lily's death. Uh, he doesn't remember much of that week, even though he threw a chair against the wall during their first session. He was also, well, he, he says he wasn't really upset about the Lily thing. There was another girl who went mi- missing the same day as Lily's murder, which I'm kind of interested. I wonder if we're going to find out more about that, if that's tied into anything. But, you know, where were the cameras and the grief counseling when she went missing? You know, this rich white girl is murdered and then it's national news. But this lower class right. you know, Mexican girl goes missing. And which no- is an honest to God, like reality. You know, I follow a lot of true crime, which I talked about in the last episode when we were talking about serial killers. And that's one of the most devastating things is people don't pay attention unless the victim is a white female. Right. And that's heartbreaking. Yep. You know, Weevil definitely has a good point there. Miss James is obviously aware of that situation and even refers to her by name, Marisol. I didn't write it down. But anyway, she brings up, you know, she digs in a little deeper and she brings up these letters that Weevil had written to Lily. You tore my heart out. You can act like what we had meant nothing to you, but you can't stop me from loving you for the rest of your life. Wherever you go, I'll always be there just out of sight in the shadows. And can we talk about how much I love Weevil, but that's some intense... Shit. I mean, I know high school is all about like super intense, 100% emotion, but that's a little... I mean, so what was he like 16 probably when he wrote this? Because he's what, he's 17 now. He's not 18 yet. So he, I would say 15 or 16 years old when he wrote this. That's so intense and kind of stalkery. Yeah. It's funny because she does say that like Lily had given her the letters to get out of PE because some guy was harassing her. But I also knowing Lily and probably like Lily probably loved the shit out of getting that kind of intense. Right. You know, kind of in the in the episode Credit Where Credit's Due with Paris Hilton and Chardo and how much she kind of loved the attention of this bad boy. Like, I feel like Lily is very much somebody who kind of loved to be a center of attention, very dramatic. So I always kind of was like, a, she was probably super into that. Oh, yeah. Maybe it just became a nuisance after a while. Right. She, she was, was probably was super into it. More annoyed than actually scared for her life or anything but we find out in this next part and this is where weevil breaks down and you know I, he says i never would have heard her which you know we don't know that and the cops had already rubbed his nose in these letters so this this isn't some this isn't the first time these letters have been brought up right but it sounds like around this time logan and lily had broken up and lily told weevil that she would never go back to him and then snaps his fingers and all of a sudden it was like they didn't even know each other anymore which should have been devastating to him i'm sure i also wonder how long that period of time was so it's like you know did they just flirt in class for a while and then like they broke up and they had this intense moment and then they went back because it is that is very devastating i had a very similar thing happen to me when i was in high school and it's jarring to kind of one day it's there one day it's not right thing so that whole ghosting you at school thing yeah (laughs) And in this case, she even got removed from one of his classes. Mm-hmm. So uh, everything we found out there is it, there, it looks like there was a relationship with Lily and Weevil. It's out in the open now. This, this uh, is a revelation for Veronica because she's been listening in to every word that's been said here. Mm-hmm. And so this Veronica's shocked because Lily was her best friend. They shared everything together. Mm-hmm. And not this. At the beginning of the episode during the recap, they were talking about they had the, the scene where Lily was saying, I have a secret and it's a good one. Mm-hmm. And so Veronica wonders, you know, is this the good secret that she was talking about? I don't think so. Next up in grief counseling is Senor Logan. And 
obviously, because, you know, they were... I guess we found out they weren't dating at this time. They had just, they were broken on up. A break. They were on a break. I love it. The high school. We're on a break. <laughs> hey, it happens in adulthood, too. You've seen it with, with Ross and Rachel. Oh, my gosh. Ross. <laughs> They're not a really good example of, like, relationship goals. Can we be honest here? <laughs> also, Ross is insufferable. I hate him. Yep. So the week that Lily died, we find out here the week that Lily died uh, would have been their second anniversary. And at the time of the murder, they were on a break. I also, can I just say, he had said that they've been off and on together since middle school, uh-huh. which I just find really funny because Lily was a year ahead of them. And I'm like, how did that work if he's in eighth grade and she's in ninth grade? Because you know Lily's like not dating some middle schooler. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was like, were you off for that whole year? You were probably off for that whole yeah, year. Yeah, but so she wouldn't he be dating. He's a rich kid's son. He's a rich kid's. He's uh, Eccles. This he's is he's true. a movie star. It's just really so. funny to think about just middle schoolers dating in middle school versus dating in high school it's just anyway continue so they they were on a break uh, they were supposed to go to this party together but lily was really pissed at him for something he doesn't remember what as those things typically go so L- lily stands him up at the party so logan just gets trashed and ends up kissing another girl for like three seconds bad move logan so and he does that in front of the the worst person in the world to do that in front of which is lily's best friend who is veronica mars so veronica sees this goes and tells lily of course she does. A hundred percent. That's exactly what you do. Right. And you know, they broke up. This is something we hadn't seen before. Like trying to figure out what Logan's big hang up over Veronica is. Why does he hate her so much right now? Mm-hmm. And so we get to see why in, in this conversation. Or here. at least part of why. Well, I mean, so yeah, part of why. But so the way he sees it, the way he rationalizes it is that so Veronica threw him under the bus. Right. Yes, he did something stupid. But Veronica was my friend, too. Mm. And, she, and you, they show, they pan to her reaction, too, when he says that and then pans back. Because right. it's, and we've seen this, too, with some of the moments, like, in the beginning when they do the memorial for Lily and Veronica comes and, like, gives him the tapes. There's this history that's there that you can tell, like, they used to get along. They used to be friends. And then all of this happened and now they're enemies. But, you know, there is, there was something there. So... Logan felt really betrayed by Veronica and you know Veronica and Lily are best friends and it is Veronica's responsibility as a BFF to to tell her something about that absolutely but at the same time Logan feels really betrayed and so the way he rationalizes it is that you know she ratted me out we broke up over this Mm -hmm. had we not been broken up I would have been with her the night she was murdered and maybe she wouldn't have died so all of this gets tied back and he says you know if Veronica hadn't done that and we would have been broken up, then I blame Veronica. If I would have been so stupid and kissed that girl for three seconds and got trashed at that party, we wouldn't have broken up. And if Lily hadn't have been such a bitch at the time, maybe yeah. we wouldn't have broken up and all of this. That's and- one of my favorite parts is I don't think he really blames Veronica. I really think it's it's him processing his own grief and his own guilt. It's easy to blame Veronica that it's her fault and to be angry at her, but I think he knows deep down that there's more to it right. and that there's stuff that he shouldn't have done that he is aware that that was his misstep is I think very profound for Logan because he's not somebody yet who has really hit us as somebody owning up to their own mm-hmm. mistakes. So it's quite yeah, nice. And also he's, he's clearly in the bargaining phase of, of the grief 100%. processing too. Awesome. So we found out a lot right there, um, mostly about Veronica and Logan's relationship mm-hmm. prior to the murder and then last but not least we got mr duncan kane mm-hmm. coming into grief counseling what and this, we learn about duncan kane this is probably the most enlightening of the four we already know from previous episodes him kind of having trouble struggling with reality getting off the antidepressants he had one episode where he pretty much was having a conversation with lily which was just kind of like a waking dream that he was having mm-hmm. he's detached from reality a little bit and miss jane the way miss james puts it is like well, you sound like somebody who's lost your sister mm-hmm. he's like well in my mind so that, that too he stopped taking his antidepressants and he also stopped taking the old standbys so we don't really know what that means exactly either mm-hmm. what what else is being treated the way that i took that was well these are things he's been taking for a long time like even before the lily kane murder right Obviously, Veronica's listening into all of this and thinking all of these things. Like, these are things she didn't know about her boyfriend, mm-hmm. who she thinks she knows everything about. 
what you know back to that whole like there's information i don't know just kind of yeah. like <gasps> she needs to know everything and to not know it is a very uncomfortable place for veronica to be in right and so the counselor believes that you know it was the antidepressants that he was taking during uh, well shortly after uh, lily's murder probably suppressed a lot of that grief and now that he's off the meds all that stuff is starting to come to the surface and it's starting to manifest itself in these episodes and to having these imaginary conversations with the sister, which he doesn't get into here, but whatever. And then it, he says, well, you know, I just feel like Lily's mad at me for forgetting. And so she, Miss James asks, you know, are you forget starting to forget things about Lily? And he says, no, I, I, I forgot what happened, which then, so this is a huge, this is a bit of a bombshell. This is this is something huge. It's going to go into the Sean's prediction corner section. Mm-hmm. But he he blacked out for three days, starting the morning of Lily Kane's murder. The last thing he remembers, he's at soccer practice the morning of the murder, and then next thing he knows, he's in the back of a limo. It's three days later, basically. Lily's dead. He doesn't remember any of it, and this really explains that you know that that scene where Veronica runs into the house when they mm-hmm. do the flashbacks to the and he's just like rocking. Yeah, he's just catatonic. So that really explains like his state when she when she saw him, and it, I don't know it just it, that raises a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I don't know the red X has been removed from his face pretty much on the the whiteboard of mystery. Your little mental whiteboard of Me- mystery. Mental white. It's, it exists. Go into my head and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I won't tell you you're not wrong. I won't tell you anything. Just okay. Say that. So in terms of kind of a, a theme and what's going on with this episode, I, I feel like the general feel of this episode is revenge. I mean, a, a lot of things are can play on the revenge, but I feel like we see this in two different respects. We see it from Rick and we see it from Lynn. And I think it's interesting to see what desperation and anger can do to somebody and the ways, the different ways people can lash out to exact revenge. Mm-hmm. So we see Rick, who's scheming to take people down, and then we see Lynn. And can you imagine being Logan and having the last thing your mother says to you, potentially, is I can't take this anymore, mm-hmm. and to storm out, and, and to have that last moment and exchange be this really tense, arguing, high emotion stakes moment and then you don't even get to say goodbye and she just gets up and storms out and then the next thing you know it's being reported she may or may not have jumped off of this bridge but the revenge that these people are trying to exact is on an emo well it's two different levels i think rick is much more on like the destroying lives like he's just upset that things haven't gone his way and that he feels like he's been slighted and his life has been ruined so he's going to go out and exact his revenge on taking down Veronica mm-hmm. and, and the Tritons while he's at it for not tapping him. But Lynn, I feel like her revenge is much more strategic and emotional and it's and it's more pointed. And it could be because of the intimacy she has with Aaron. Like she knows t- where to hit him to make it hurt the most. Right. Whereas Rick is just doing like general brushes of revenge. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's very interesting to see how d- people react differently to their revenge. And also to Rick's more of an opportunist revenge. Like they happened to go out and his friend got drunk and passed out and he dumped him at the, the hospital. Whereas Lynn, it's this, it's enough is enough type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like she, you, you learn she's known all along about all the different affairs and had just been smiling through it all and she just couldn't take it anymore. I just thought that that was very interesting the way they kind of showcased two different ways that people, and there's more than two, obviously, but in this right. regard. I mean, in, even in, on a smaller scale, the interaction between Hector and Logan, I mean, that was kind of like a immediate karma revenge. <laughs> it, yes. Him standing up for his mother, and, mm-hmm. and it, it was kind of a revenge on, a revenge for her character that mm-hmm. was being defamed. Do you think, too, that, so Logan is very much a victim of Aaron Eccles, mm-hmm. right? His father... Do you feel like there's kind of a the reason that he is so protective of his mom, not just because it's his mom, but he feels like they're kind of one in the same in that regard. Like they're both victims of their of his father's arrogance and white male mind, all of, yeah. all of that kind of thing. Uh, that they're both victims of his personality and, and and in a lot of abusive relationships it, like that the victims will they, they have this bond mm-hmm. this kind of survivor's bond that they share with each other mm-hmm. in, in that so I, I think their relationship 
he definitely has a much closer relationship with his mother that even if we don't really see it i feel like there's an understood sort of bond that's there because of that right and you can see that a lot when he's defending his mother against hector but also defending his mother against his own father Mm -hmm. who is you know it's and that's a very ballsy thing for him to do because we know how aaron reacts to logan when he gets angry so he is putting himself between his mother and his father understanding that pushing his father enough can result in actual physical pain to himself and he's okay with that or he's going to accept that as a potential possibility of something that that might happen let's move on to things that we loved some some happier things about this episode (laughs) sean what was your what was your favorite part what was your favorite line what happened in this episode that made you happy so my favorite part was the action hero moment after she exposes the tridents so you know she sneaks around the corner has her her quippy quote and then they have the big chase scene out of the out of the gym so and she's out running supposedly these are the best of the best right so mit there's at least one athlete in there mit guys at the front of the pack the entire time and where's the most athletic guy in the back probably (laughs) so most athletic guy is most athletic at golf apparently (laughs) you just stand so she outruns everybody out out of the building and her action scene of jumping onto the back of the hood and then jumping into the car and peeling off, I, I thought that was badass. Um, and I love that Wallace is there as the getaway driver peels out. And in the next scene, he's like, did you see the way I drove that little <laughs> He's like so proud of himself. So yeah, that was that was the most exciting part of the episode. And uh, I, don't, I like it when they do action scenes. And they did that one well. Do you ever wonder, or did you wonder, how many takes that might have taken to do? Was it actually her too? Was there a stunt double? I yeah. have to see because I, I feel like from it's from behind. Like you see her go up, but then when you see her drop down, it's from the back. So it very much could have been a stunt double. Not to say that you're not capable of doing these things, K-Bell, but it's that's takes some serious skill. Right. But yeah, I that's that is a great part. I do really like that. It's very, very action movie. What about uh favorite line? Did you have any? I we, feel like there's a lot of really good ones. It was Sheriff Lamb reading the the hundred dollar bill. Veronica Mars <laughs> is, is smarter, smarter than, than me. me. <laughs> that is a great line. My favorite part of this episode was Wallace. Of I feel like I should just make a Wallace corner on this episode <laughs> or on this podcast. The thing that I like about Wallace in this episode, one, he's on point. Every time he is delivering a line or telling a story, he is like at peak performance. He really just was great in this episode. I don't want to use the term sidekick. But he is, he sometimes, very often takes a second chair to Veronica, mm-hmm. which is fine. It's Veronica Mars. It's not Wallace Fennell, right? But this episode, even though we don't see the scenes that he regales in his stories to her, we see the joy he takes in in kind of playing a very crucial role in investigating and and finding out these things for his friend and it's not you know just looking up somebody's schedule because he works in the office it's making connections and finding out things and the other thing that I really like is this is the first time that we learn that Wallace is on the basketball team at one of the times he comes over to Veronica he's like talking about practice and how well he did and she's watching Duncan's tractor tracker and she's not really listening to him and he's like you're not listening to a thing I say I could say blah 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 but it's this idea of Wallace is growing a life at Neptune. His life isn't Veronica, like, mm-hmm. but his life is still Veronica, if that makes sense. So he has friends, he has teammates, he has interests, he does all of these things, but that friendship is still like numero uno to him. Right. And, and I think that's lovely. So, and I guess it is kind of weird saying he's a sidekick, but mm-hmm. she cannot do what she does without Wallace. Like he 100%. is absolutely necessary to what she does on a daily basis. One of her foundational relationships. Right. Uh, so, I mean, he's he's very clearly the Cato to her Green Hornet. It, it, it is kind of a sidekick thing. And yeah. I don't think there's anything bad about that. You yeah. know, I think sidekicks kind of get a bad rap and I think we can all blame Robin for that one. Yes. <laughs> But, you weren't the best, Robin. Right. So, but I mean, there there are some great sidekicks out there, and there's nothing wrong with that. 100%. The other thing that I really liked about this episode, and you've already really touched on it, so I'm just going to touch on it briefly, is just seeing the personal impacts of Lily's death on people that aren't Veronica. Mm-hmm. Because up until this point, we've really just filtered through her, which I think always made sense because filtering an experience through one person's point of view is how we experience life because everything's filtered through our own points of view. Mm-hmm. So it takes a concentrated effort to imagine what somebody else 
might be thinking or how they might have perceived it. It's the whole, you know, walk a mile in their shoes, you know, try and see what you see. And I think listening in and learning all of these things for Veronica was obviously very important. But I think it's also this thing of why did why did it take a year for Veronica to even consider how this impacted everybody else mm-hmm. and what was going on in their weeks and, and all of the people involved. But I also just like that it provides dimension to a lot of those characters and it shows us their wants and their motivations and their heartbreak. But it really, it's just nice to understand the world bigger than just Veronica. Right. And the actual reach of the loss of this person because it also helps you understand Lily and it gives a lot of insight into her character which we need because we don't have her around to really give her self character if that makes sense yeah so we're introducing kind of a new corner called the MVP the most valuable player that pirate well because they're not always going to be students at it's okay but they're alumni maybe okay most 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 valuable pirate we'll go with that And basically what it is, is who do we think really shined in the episode? Villain or friend? But it can't be Keith or Veronica. They are off the table because we obviously love them. (sighs) Yeah, they would win every time. They would win every time because they've always got great lines, etc. I'm going to try really hard to to not always nominate Wallace. It's going to be a struggle for me, especially in this episode. But who do we think really stood out? in this episode. So we're each going to float a nomination and then we'll put it up to you guys to vote on who you think is the MVP or who did we miss in our nominations and we'll add them to a poll. You can find it on our Twitter account and that's <laughs> at lifeaftermars09. So Sean, who's your MVP of this episode? My MVP for this episode will be Logan Eccles. Interesting. For standing up for his mother twice. Okay. Uh, willing to get the physical violence with Hector, who is clearly bigger than him and he'd probably... Snap his neck. Yeah. And also for standing up to his mother against his father. The fact that he, he cares very much about his mother and is willing to put himself in some kind of danger mm-hmm. to protect his mother's... Just to protect his mother. So my MVP nomination for this week is Rick, our Triton, who wished he was a Triton. Oh, yeah? So obviously he's not... A hero in this episode he's very much the villain of this episode but I think what is interesting about him is kind of the mastermind aspect behind it because there were so many opportunities for him for his whole story what he was trying to run to have everything fall apart and I think he's very much an opportunist in that he saw this this thing happen to his friend and his initial reaction is like I'm gonna blame us all on Veronica Mars <laughs> and he created this entire elaborate story that we see veronica do right but it's always for the right reasons Mm -hmm. she creates these stories fabrications whatever it might be to help her get information that she needs and it's interesting to see somebody try and do that to her granted he's not the best at it but you know i think he he does a very convincing job she falls for it until she doesn't but i think you know he he was very kind of masterful as a as a villain in this episode so i'm gonna float out rick so those are our nominations, Logan Eccles and Rick. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to vote online, like we said. And if you have any real argument, I guess you can you could put, uh, if they want to comment on why they selected who they selected. Can you do all that on Twitter? Is there oh, a yeah. character limit? Sean, do you not Twitter? I don't Twitter. Okay. Well, Sean yeah. doesn't Twitter. So it's, it is actually me, Corey, behind our Twitter account <laughs> for the time being. I'm not allowed to Twitter. I know, because you will totally be spoiled. <laughs> So, sorry, it's just me right now. But yeah, engage us. Uh, talk to us. Tell us who you think was really great in this episode. Um, tell me how much you loved Wallace so we can both fan over that. And uh, we will catch you next week. So thank you so much for tuning in. You can find us every Thursday on Apple Podcast, Google Play, and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider dropping us a rating and a review. That helps other marshmallows find us. If you'd like to reach out, you can find us on Instagram at Life After Mars Podcast or on Twitter at Life After Mars 09. Hate social? Then email us, lifeaftermarspodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, marshmallows. Bye. Adios. Bye.